Hey everybody and welcome to episode 12 Property Mastermind Podcast with Hillary. This week's special guest again with the super Bob Anderson guru, property legend, all of that stuff. I can't help but sort of, I actually call him Google, Google when it comes to property. So Bob and I will be talking about highest and best use when it comes to property and the reasons you need to understand what the highest and best use of your property is before you go buying or selling. So let's jump into episode 12. Here we are, episode 12. Welcome, Bob Anderson. Oh, good to be back. I love doing your <laughs> podcasts or joining you. In well, it's kind of ours, really. Oh, no, it's with Hilary Saxton. Yeah, and yours. And, and yours. <laughs> well, we're both here. Well, both here sometimes. Anyway, both here today. So talking about highest and best use, and it's a topic that we often discuss in the community, Bob, you bring it up so much because... You're constantly trying to educate people on what to do with their properties or yeah. when they're looking for something. So give us your description when it comes to highest and best use. What is the term? What does that mean for people to understand? Well, highest and best use, you know, you often see it on valuers, valuations done by valuers, of course. Highest and best use. And there is a definition of what it is. But from a developer's point of view, to me, it's what value does property have that gives you the best profit? Mm, so end of the day, it's about the profit from the that particular piece of property. Yeah, because property can have more than one value. Yes. That's a weird thing to say. How could a property have more than one value? But it, it can, depending on its use. I remember the first time that we talked about this and I had that realisation. I was like, oh, of course it makes sense. But sometimes the, the obvious things, unless somebody points it out, we actually miss it. So yeah, you break it down, Bob, so people really yeah. get it. I mean, most people know, let's say, what their house is worth. If you were to say to somebody, what's your house valued at? They might say, oh, it looks $800,000. And that's probably correct as a house. As that particular house, on that particular block of land, in that particular suburb, at a particular point in time, that property is worth $800,000 Oh, that's an interesting as point. a house. You brought up time there, and that has a bit to do with it, doesn't it? Well, it does, uh, particularly recently when we've seen you know large escalations in values in a short period of time. By the same token, you know, if you go back to, let's say, the end of 2017, when Sydney and Melbourne had, had a really good run for about five years, a lot of growth, and then it had the, the correction that it had to have from then up to, let's say, the next two years, up to the end of 2019, there was that correction and then it started to make its way back up again. Just before COVID happened, Melbourne had reached a new peak and Sydney was uh, was getting close by. So, so we have those market fluctuations for sure. But highest and best use to me is what use makes the most profit out of a parcel of land? Most people think the more you jam on, the more properties or the more dwellings you jam on a piece of property, yeah. the more money you make. And I, what we're really alluding to is that's not always the case. More isn't always better when it comes to profit. And look, let's face it, as developers, what we want to do is make the maximum profit that we can out of a property. That doesn't necessarily mean, as you just said very wisely, jamming as much on as you can. <laughs> Because it can sort of hit a point of diminishing return. Mm. And uh, oh, I mean, I've seen lots of sites that have a development permit, let's say for five townhouses, where they would have been better off with four. Mm. In fact, if you do the feasibility and have a look at the profit, 
it makes more profit as a four townhouse project than it does as a five townhouse project. Mm. I've seen you do those when you do your deal or no deals where you break down a deal. Often you go back in time and look at something where somebody has got a development approval or building approval or wherever you're from, mm. whatever, whatever. Whatever level it's up to. Yeah, but sometimes they've gone and, and they've gotten that thinking, oh, cool, we'll jam more on. It makes it not feasible. No, and, and what often happens is, and you've seen plenty of examples of this, is the design goes out the back door. So, mm. you know, I've seen lots, as I said, let's, you know, as an example, a five townhouse development approval where it should have been four. If you think of the bottom level of a typical townhouse, they don't have to be this way, but most are. Mm. You've got a garage, kitchen, living, dining, powder room and a laundry. That's typically what you have on the ground level. Mm-hmm. On the le- next level up, uh, which is actually a smaller square meter level, you'd have, let's say, three bedrooms and two bathrooms, typically. Now, the problem is with these townhouses, standard configuration you can't keep shrinking stuff to fit the fifth one on mm. without wrecking the design. Mm. So you can't have half a garage. You know, there st- <laughs> Unless you have a motorbike. <laughs> yeah, but like from a council point, I mean, even from building code, th- there are minimum sizes. Yeah. It might be, let's say, an enclosed garage, it might be three metres or 3.2, whatever it is, wide. 3.2 metres wide, let's say. Well, you can't have a garage that's 1.8 metres wide. You can't have a garage that's you know, four and a half metres deep mm. if, if it's supposed to be, say, 5.7 metres. It becomes metres. practically use, useless yeah. or annoying. No. Yeah. It's, it's no good saying, well, look, I've got a motorbike. I don't need it, you know, mm. as a developer. Let's just sell to people with motorbikes and cut the garage right down small. You, can't, you know, you, you <laughs> yeah. can't do it. So you can't have half a garage just because you're trying to fit five where four would fit. Mm. So where can you trim back? We well, can't trim the garage back. The powder room. Toilet in a basin. Well, you can't do much about that. Laundry. Well, yeah, you can put them in a cupboard, but really you're not saving much. So what happens is it's the kitchen, living, dining area that gets cramped up mm. when you're trying to fit five on instead of four. And, you know, you're going to like an L-shaped kitchen where you end up with the dining room virtually in the kitchen. Mm. That's what happens. You end up with a small living area. You know, I've seen designs where virtually it's either a living room or a dining room, but it can't be both. Yeah. And an L-shaped kitchen, you don't want to be like eating in the kitchen. This is not 1950-something. No. And that's what happens. And, uh, yeah, that's like what we say, overcooking. We use that term. That, that design's overcooked, which means they've just tried to jam too much on. <laughs> Get as much bit, happening there as possible. Bit of developer slang. So definitely not the highest and best use in that case to be putting extra on. And sometimes properties are mm. just better off being left as a house. How many times have we seen that? Well, exactly. Especially at the moment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I looked at a site the other day that had four different uses yes. from a town planning point of view, which means it has five different prices, a different value, if you like, for each use. Take us through them. So what was it? Okay. So this particular one, it was an 809 square meter lot. Mm -hmm. It's roughly 20 meters wide and 40 meters deep. And it had a house on it, uh, pretty much in the middle. Besides that, it was what we call a splitter block because it was already two lots on one title. Mm -hmm. So the alternative now, we've got a house on basically one lot, but technically two, or we could subdivide it into two lots quite easily, but we'd have to knock the house over. It happened to be zoned for two-level townhouses or two-level, let's say, two-level medium density 
where you could do either townhouses or you could do apartments. So here we have, we're looking at it. It's one, one dwelling, if you like, four uses and four values. A house on a lot. It has a value as a house on a lot, whatever that's worth as a house. And that'll depend, of course, on, you know, the location, the house, the size, you know, whether it's been renoed or not, all those things. But it has a value as a house. It also has a value as a potential two-lot subdivision. Mm. So what's that? Well, it'd be different because you'd how do, how do you know what it's worth as a two-lot subdivision? Well, you'd have to do a feasibility and uh, come up with what value that land would have to be purchased at to make a required profit. But it could also be, this particular lot, four townhouses, four two-storey townhouses. So it has a different value, again, as townhouses. As well as that, because the two-storey height limit, you could do apartments. So this is a situation where you could do six two-bedroom apartments. So you've got a house, a two-lot subdivision, four townhouses, three bedders, or six two-bedroom apartments. Which one worked out best? Like, what was which was the best? Well, this particular one, it turned out to be the house. Really? Yeah. And look, we've seen house values rise a lot, haven't we? Mm. Yeah, particularly in the last six or eight yeah, months. Yeah, it's August 2021. So at the moment, land's worth a fair bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first six months of 2021, big boost. And it's still, even today, it's still on the upward trajectory, but flatter, flatter trajectory. So what we've seen is a big increase in house values. Not so much the same percentage increase in townhouses or apartments, although I think that's yet to come. So what's happened in a number of situations, let's just say prior to this big jump in values, we've had a site, let's just say it's worth $800,000 as a house. Now, as a four townhouse development, it might have been worth maybe $800,000 as well. Mm -hmm. The problem is this, at the moment, that $800,000 house is now a million dollars. Oh, crikey, awesome. But <laughs> as a four townhouse uh, site, it might have only gone up 50000 because oh, the so value awesome. of townhouses hasn't gone up so much. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, at one point, say six, eight, ten months ago, you could have bought it as a house, bought it as a site for eight hundred, and it would work. Now, you can't. You have to pay a million dollars because that's what it's worth as a house. But it's only worth 850000 as a townhouse site. That's the that's the issue, and, and we've seen a bit of that happening. Yes. Like, at the moment, this is happening. Have you experienced this before? Like, you've been, like, this is your, how many cycles you've gone through, you know, 38 years. So, when was the last time you saw it happen at this, to this sort of close to this extent? Oh, 2004. Yeah? Yeah. But then, that's not necessarily nationally. I mean, traditionally, cities have had, like, boom periods when others might have been flat. Uh, but in, in recent times, it's all been, you know, the whole country's been on the way up. Every single state. Mm. In fact, every capital city is, is at a new record peak in terms of the value of uh, property, value of houses in particular, other than Perth and Darwin, but they're on an upward trajectory. Mm. So, yeah, look, I have seen it. I've seen, I've seen just about everything in 38 years in property. But that's happened lately, which makes it a little bit more difficult to find a site mm. because of that house value. Mm. But so what do you need to happen? Well, you need to houses to slow down a bit and let's say townhouses to catch up a bit. And I think that that will happen. And when that does, then that, you know, that example I just said, the house at a mill now as a, as a four townhouse site, it's worth 850. So as townhouses go up in value, the land value goes up as well. Right. So do you see this as like, where is the, you know, there's always an opportunity somewhere for somebody. Where do you see the opportunity in like in this current market if we're looking at highest and best use? 
Well, if you're going to, let's say, let's say you're looking at doing a townhouse development, it's going to have to be the worst house. You know the old saying, worst house in the best street. Well, you can't always do that, but it's going to be where houses are not in very good condition, where the land is where the value is, Mm. not so much the house. And you might feel like you're overpaying initially. Yeah, well, that's the temptation in this sort of a market Mm. is for developers to do a feasibility and for the the, the required development margins not there, but they think, well, you know, any year's time when I'm finished and I'm selling everything, let's say, uh, the market should have lifted. So they're saying, look, I don't mind paying a little bit much, a little bit over the top for the site at the moment uh, because I know that the sale prices are going to continue and, and that will pay catch up. And we're seeing plenty of people do that right now. Oh, look, a lot of people are. I'm not yeah. saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying there is a, obviously an element of risk yeah. when you're using a future sale price against a current acquisition price. <laughs> and, and, and you don't want to be getting pre-sales at that rate. <laughs> well, no. Um, look, if you go back to, like I just mentioned before, the end of 2017, when the Sydney market peaked, the Melbourne market peaked, and then there was that correction for about two years before it lifted again, if you'd bought a site in towards the end of 2017 in Sydney or Melbourne with the expectation that values were going to keep increasing, mm. th- th- then they wouldn't have. Mm. And that's where it could have come to bite people that, that do that, you know, mm. and they would have had to wait or put a lot more money into the deal, make the bank happy. So, But, yeah, highest and best use, you know, so often uh, I, I see people, uh, not not developers but normal mums and dads. What, ducks? Oh, not necessarily. The but, old wood duck. Well, look, the wood duck generally is somebody that buys a property that's way overpriced. <laughs> but I'm talking about sites. And look, we look at a lot of sites that have development permits, don't we? But a lot of the time, it's been a normal mum and dad who've got the development permit. It's rarely another developer. I mean, occasionally we might buy a site off another developer that's got a development approval mm. and they're selling it for whatever reason. But generally, most sites that have a development permit it's just a normal mum and dad, mm. and the permit isn't always reflective. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not always, always the right permit. one. Yeah, you know, if you think just because something's got a development permit, it must be good. Think again, because truly, that's tip of the day. Most of the deals I look at with a development permit end up in my rubbish bin. Yeah, for a whole heap of reasons. But probably that would be the main one. It's just average mums and dads thinking that they're increasing the value of their property by getting a development permit. And at the end of the day, it's probably not the highest and best use of that land. No, it might always have been better just as house value. Mm. And that's what I see because this is this this illusion that if you get a development permit, you add value. Mm. In a lot of cases, you do, but not necessarily. Mm. I mean, what you have to do, and a mum and dad, I use the term nicely, don't know, is what they need to do. First of all, what's their house worth? Let's look at it as a house because what they want to do, they want to sell their property. They know it has development potential and either somebody's whispered something in their ear or they just don't have a clue and they think, well, if I get a development permit, I'll get a lot more for it when I sell it without ever putting science behind it and doing the numbers. Mm. And it could be that situation that I mentioned before. You know, a house is worth a million, but as a townhouse site, it's worth 800 or 850. So why, why would you go and get a development permit to sell it when, in, in fact, it's worth less as a site than as a house. Yeah. And that's what I see. And not just recently because houses have gone up. I've seen it my whole career. And particularly with sites that have a bit of a problem. If you've got a site mm-hmm. that has a bit of a problem, let's say… Slopes, flooding. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's going to cost you more to build for those reasons, but you can't sell it for any more. Therefore, the only way you can get out of it as a developer and make the profit margin is to buy the land for less. Mm. 
And, you know, that's not easy to convince your average mum and dad that, uh, that that's the case. But, but what happens is that it costs more to develop and therefore that reduces the value of the land. I mean, we've, you've seen that one, uh, that I sometimes talk about at our three day workshop. Yeah. Where yeah, we had a, we had somebody who owns a house. Now that house is worth about 650,000 as a house. It's on a bit of a noisy road. It's a nice house. It'd be worth more if it was two blocks back, but it is where it is. And as a house, it's worth about 650. They got a development permit for seven townhouses. It's now worth as a development site less than a hundred thousand. And the reason is the construction costs are through the roof. Mm. It was a slopey block. They couldn't get rid of the stormwater. So what they did is they built a big concrete slab up in the air so that they could flow the stormwater back to the street. There's some townhouses that are upside down. Yeah, uh, wrong way around. Where the garage is on top of the bedrooms Mm. and lots of slope. There's lots of retaining. Look, when you start cutting slopes, Retaining, yeah, it's not just, extras, yeah. Oh, yeah. Retaining and drainage. It, it's not the cost of the earthworks, you know, cutting and removing soil. It's the cost of the retaining. That's what people don't realise. Like they just think, oh, that's not hard. And that isn't, but the retaining yeah. and the, yeah, afterwards. Yeah. What so has to happen to the rest exactly. of it? Exactly. Then you've got retaining walls. But then you can't just build a retaining wall because uh, you have to have drainage that goes with it, mm. drainage behind the retaining wall drainage in front, it has, still has to get rid of everything. And then when you've got cut and fill, uh, where you're cutting some earth and then filling another part, that fills soft. Now, even if it's compacted, when you do the foundations, you've got to go right through that fill into solid ground with things called piers. You know, big, they draw big round holes and put steel in it, pour concrete in. All of this adds a lot to the cost. So you've got peering, you've got a consolidation of fill, you've got retaining, you've got drainage. Uh, and when you build them on a big concrete slab suspended in the air on concrete piers. It's just like cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah. It's just dollars. No, you just added like sixty or $70,000 to the cost of every townhouse. And you can't get one cent more when you sell them. No. And that's the, that's the issue. So that's $70,000 per townhouse. Uh, you have to get that off the land. On the reverse, though. There are highest and best use when you can add extra properties. Remember, you've done that for a couple of mentoring students. Yeah, yeah, I remember one we did well with a really good good design. We got five five on instead of four. In fact, I'm thinking of another one that one uh, of Darren's. They got good, seven, didn't he? A good mate, Darren. Yeah. yeah. The reason we got seven on that one is people didn't realise that we could do three stories mm. at that particular time, and rather than two stories, and as a result, we got seven on instead of four. That made a huge difference. That's not all bad news, of course, about. No, I mean, I'm, you know, imagine Sonia was all good to go, make a great profit, and then Bob's like, "Hang on, we can get another one on here," mm-hmm. and it, you know, without reducing the appeal of the yeah. others. No, no, they look great, and not yeah. only that, uh, we were looking at four three bedders. We ended up getting five, and three of that five were four bedders. Yeah, amazing. So we got the extra money for the fourth bed. We got the extra money for the extra townhouse without sacrificing anything. Sacrificing, that was the word I was after. Yeah, and so that was a good result. So, so yeah, don't don't hmm. don't panic. I suppose at the end of the day, it's about doing the fiso and looking at things, you know, like a like an alien. My girlfriend said that to me the other day. She goes, "You're an alien too. You look at things differently." So, how could you be an alien and look at the at the piece of land you've got and then run through the the fiso scenarios and, you know, then make a bit more of a educated decision on what hmm. your piece of land or your you know what your property is actually worth. 
what is the highest and best use of that piece of land yeah. uh, lucratively. Mm. And that's yeah, all back to profit, like we started off saying at mm. the beginning. For a developer, it's a pretty simple definition. The highest and best use is the use that we make the most profit on. Yep. And what is that? That, that example I said before, you have a house, it's worth a certain amount of money, that house, uh, as a two-lot subdivision, a different value, as four townhouses, a different value, mm. as six apartments, a different value. So like that example I gave before of the four different uses, you know, as a house, it has one value, as a two-lot subdivision, a different value, as four three-bedroom townhouses, a different value, as six two-bedroom apartments, a different value, all different values. So how would we know which to do? And at the end of the day, like everything in property development, we've got to crunch the numbers. Yeah. That's one of the first things we do and, and say, okay, what's it worth as a house? That's normally not too hard. No. We could look at other sales recently in the area, similar properties. You know, there's enough houses transacting uh, for, a, for a value, if you like, to, to get a handle on what the house is worth. Most people know what the house is worth. As a, mind you, to do a two-lot subdivision, a little bit more complex, a feasibility, not a, not a hard one to do, a two-lot subdivision, but we need to do that and work out what the land would, what would we have to pay for this land to make a profit that you would normally expect to make on a two-lot subdivision. It has that value. Same process with the four townhouses, same process with the two-bedroom apartments. Although when it comes to the, if you like, the townhouses versus the apartments, we'd also be looking at that local market Mm. And, and what's the requirement? Even uh, as you were going through those, I think in the background as well, it, that pays a part. It has a massive impact. Like who is the market? You know, there's there's no point in, like you say, putting more on and, and no one's going to buy them because it's, it's all housing around it and you throw up an apartment building because mm. it, you can make more money. If you can't sell and you're sitting on interest costs, you're certainly not going to be making money. So, you know, there's all of that, making sure it's the, in the right place, that, that matters as well. That's everything, what, what you just said there, is building to the market. Mm. But you have to know your market. You have to know what, what is your local market and, uh, and build to it. Now, there could be, I've seen it happen, you know, there's an oversupply of apartments, but there could be an undersupply of townhouses, those sorts of things, you know. So product's important, but, yeah, highest and best use. So, you know, four different values for four different uses, same property, uh, which is the best from a development point of view. Well, until we look at the numbers, we won't know. Mm. It might be worth more as a house. Even if it had a development permit, it might still be worth more of a, as a house because let's say the townhouse project has a lower value, land value for that property. It mm. could be that. Not unusual. And uh, so that's highest and best use, a house. No good to us as a developer. I'm thinking, Bob, let's wind it up. Let's. What would you give as a piece of advice for people around highest and best use? What would be like two takeaways that you would like to share with people? Well, firstly, getting a development permit on a property doesn't necessarily make it worth more. And the only really way to know the right way to go is to do a feasibility. Look at the different uses. What are they? I just cited one that had four different uses. What are the uses? Uh, you might only be interested in townhouses, so that might be the only other use you're looking at. Uh, do the numbers and compare that to the house value or the asking price, I suppose, if it's on the market. And that's it. So so really, I, I guess two takeaways. Just because it gets a development permit doesn't mean it's worth more. Mm. And at the end of the day, you just got to crunch the numbers and make a call on those. There you go. Some great advice there from Bob. Thanks, Bob, for sharing your uh, tips there. Okay, before we wind up, 
I'm holding up uh, Secrets of Property Millionaires Exposed this week, giving away this book. There are some pretty cool people in this book. I've seen that book before. Oh, Bob's written in it, so he's got a chapter. There's lots of different like strategies around property. Obviously, we're all about the developing, and if you read Bob's chapter, it goes straight. You know, he's talking about why he believes development is the pinnacle of all property strategies. So uh, if you would like to win this, comment favourably or send me an email or whichever you would like. We'll be giving a copy away this week. I see that Joe Vidello's on there. Bob's actually doing an interview with Joe tonight. So by the time this podcast is released, it'll be too late. But I suppose we could send it out to our email, a copy to our email database if you wanted to listen to that interview. On armchair investing, that one's on. But anyway... Secrets of Property Millionaires Exposed. If you'd like Personally to win. autographed Pers- by Hillary. No, by you, Bob. By You're both of us. No one wants my <laughs> autograph. They want yeah, yours. Of course they do. So, yeah, if you'd like a copy of this, uh, just, yeah, comment, share, uh, let us know. If you're going to share it on any other social media, take a screenshot and, and let us know. So, once again, thank you, Bob. That was episode 12. Ep- looking forward to episode 13, solo episode with me. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye.